what's annoying about Jesus, and I mean this in the most complimentary way, is he could be around people that we he radically disagreed with or that we would radically disagree with, but he would spend time with them. It, it, he was not around people based on common beliefs and common approaches. And I think a better world is not watering down truth or changing truth, or you have your truth, I have my truth. I think a better way of life is, can I be in relationship with you, me choosing to be in relationship with you without so many conditions? Well, welcome back to the Exploring Exile podcast. My name is Mike, your host. I'm so glad you're with us. Uh, this is going to be a wide-ranging conversation with Pastor David Canan. He's the pastor of an incredible church in Rapid City, South Dakota called Fountain Springs. We talk cancel culture, personal responsibility, lack of mission for people's lives, like all over the place. So let's just get right into it. Well, David, man, thanks so much for uh, coming on the Exploring Exile podcast. I've been eager to get into this conversation. Uh, I think I've said it before, but I think the reason I started a podcast was so I'd have an excuse to to hang out with people like you. So, uh, thanks for thanks for being willing to do that. Um, I think we're gonna have some fun today. You think you think this will be a good time, dude? I'm excited. Thanks for the invitation. I uh, love talking with like minded people, and maybe we end up getting challenged, uh, both of us. So. Dude, uh, let's see where the conversation goes. Maybe it'll get us both arrested or it's possible. Uh, maybe we'll learn something. I don't know, but let's just see where it goes. That's the danger of not having your wife, Katie on here, right? I mean, mm-hmm. You guys, you guys just started a <laughs> podcast together. That was awesome. And, uh, I was listening to the first episode and I immediately thought, oh no, I should have invited Katie to our conversation. Cause she kind of keeps things on the rails when you go off is what I've gathered. Oh, I'm 100% convinced that I'll have to apologize for something that we say or that I say on this conversation. So, um, yeah, no, no, she, she's like my anchor and I'm not like trying to be the nice husband, you know, it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's so sweet. No, no, she literally is. She's my anchor. Like where I'll even run like, Hey, I'm going to say this. Should I say this? (laughs) And she'll be like, don't say that one part, but yeah, no. So she helps kind of round out edges for me and keep me anchored down. That's awesome. Yeah, I. that's a better hook than anything I could have started this episode with. Now people <laughs> are like, I have to listen to see what Mike and David might get in trouble with. Yeah, there you go. Um, but no, no, you're for real, though. You're someone I really admire. And um, not just for your leadership, of which is a great church, by the way. Fountain Springs is, is incredible. But your authenticity, man, your, your, the security that you live with. Um, and even in, even in the book, which we'll talk about in a minute, like your, your vulnerability to just say, this is who I am and what God's done in my life. And, uh, you know, I wrestle with a lot of insecurity. I think most leaders wrestle with insecurity quite a bit. And I've always considered you someone like, I don't know, an example to aspire to, to just kind of lean in to that and, and deal with it. Um, so again, super grateful that you're willing to spend some time with me today, man. Um, me too. This will be awesome. Let's just let's just cut to the chase. This isn't a book, uh, you know, pushing type podcast. But you did write a book, didn't you? I did. It's a really good book. I loved it. I uh, I devoured it. I was 
sitting in um, my son's jujitsu class, trying to toughen up my kid a little bit. My oldest, he needs a little bit of, he needs to get slammed on the mat a few times. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I was reading this, I was reading the book on Kindle and I'm like laughing at a few, cause it is funny. You're a funny storyteller. And I'm, I'm laughing and like the other uh, homeschool moms that are surrounding me are looking at me like, what are you reading? Cause I just, <laughs> I was laughing. I was like a weirdo in there. Um, but it's called, it's called Off the Fence which, and then the subtitle, Live the Life You Were Born to Live. I was curious just why you wrote it. Um, you're a pastor. you got a lot of stuff on your plate. You're a busy man. But besides your wife just telling you to get over it and write it already, uh, why yeah. Why off the fence? Like, Why did you feel like God wanted you to write this book at this particular moment? Yeah, I'd say the moment looks more well-timed it looks more, uh, I should say the moment looks more intentional than it actually was. So uh, the story behind it was, so since I'm a pastor, like I, I preach, right? I, I, I stand in front of people and open up the Bible and say, hey, let's read this. And we talk about, let's make sure we all understand it. That's basically what preaching is supposed to be. And so I talk a lot with two people around people and all that. Um, but what I noticed a deficit in my life was, is there were thoughts and longings and uh, a way of living that I had learned the hard way for the most part uh, that I wasn't able to pass on to someone, but I so desperately wanted people to know like, Hey, there's a, there's a great way to live life. Mm. And you may not come ever listen to me preach a sermon because maybe that sermon won't even be about that. But there were things in my heart that I wanted to put into a, what I call a vehicle that someone would be willing to drive for a little bit. And books, there's a lot of us who listen to books, read books, right? Uh, a book is easy to pass on. In fact, sometimes it's a bit more inviting than, hey, here's a sermon that my pastor preached. Mm-hmm. We listen to this. Yeah, it, it was like, you know what? I feel like this is meaningful information in my heart. I want, I don't want to run from the idea of writing a book because I've, dude, I never aspired to write any book ever. I don't, I, I don't even think of myself as an author. I, there's, People say, hey, when you're writing the next one, I'm like, I don't have a next one. I, there is no next one. I, I don't think about, I don't think that way. Right. So um, there is, fan, there's a fantastic way of living that I have learned in peaks and valleys of life. And I wanted to put it in print and actually on audio and hopefully help someone. I wanted it to benefit someone's life. Well, and I, I mean, I do want to, I want to pull some stuff from the book that I think connect to um, the purpose of this podcast, which is essentially to explore this strange new world that we are living in as Christians. Kind of, you know, I think all of us would say that the last two years have been the weirdest time ever, and now we are entering into this new phase of of unknown, um, where we're at home, but we're not at home, and nothing feels the same. Um, and and we're trying to ask better questions about where we are and where we're headed and what we're seeing in, in culture and in the world. Um, and I do think there's some stuff in the book that kind of connects to that. So one of, one of the themes that I think runs throughout the book is the theme of personal responsibility, taking mm-hmm. responsibility for your life. And, and, and rather than blaming others, like holding ourselves accountable for who we are and where we want to be and what we want in life. Whether that, you know, whether that's spiritually, physically, relationally, all of it, right? Do you, when you look at culture as a whole today, do you think we are are better or worse at 
personal responsibility now than say maybe 10 years ago, five years ago? Oh, I think we're definitely worse. Uh, I, I think we're a part of a, a culture right now that is consumed with the responsibility of other people. We are, I think we are, we are inundated with information about how others are fulfilling their responsibilities. We're inundated with temptation to even like, I call it bait to, to chime in on what do you think mm-hmm. about this other person and how they're doing their job or their, their political role or this decision, whether it be your local school board, um, your mayor, um, or our president or our senators. I think our pastors, our bosses, our coworkers, I think the current trend is don't pay attention to your personal responsibility, analyze, evaluate. And I, dude, I would even use this. I think judge, Mm -hmm. judge how others are fulfilling their responsibilities. Now, not suggesting that we should stop holding people accountable. We should, we, we should. But I think like anything in life, we've swung in an unhealthy way to where we are worse off than we were five to 10 years ago, even longer. We're worse off. And now we think a sacred value of life is holding people accountable for their responsibilities. And in the, at the same moment, we're negating our own. And we have forgotten that our prime responsibility, our prime accountability is, is me, my, my actions, my thoughts, mm. my, what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. Uh, the, my family, the people around me that I love and that I'm connected to and um, committed to. So I, to answer your question directly, I think we're worse off. And I think it's because we took the bait and now that's what news is. News isn't news. News is, hey, look what this person did. What do you think? Now we're going to talk about it as a panel about what that person did. Right. It's and a, then yeah. you turn it to another news station and the other news station will be maybe not talking about what the other station is, but they're talking about someone else's responsibility and how they didn't do it or they should be doing it. And that's, that's our culture now. So what we've done is we've now filled our brain space with what's, what are other people doing and what do I think about it? And I don't think that should be priority. I'm not, again, not suggesting throw it out. I don't think it should be priority. Yeah. I mean, um, you have a great section of the book where you talk about how health begins at the individual level, right? We, we tend to, um, look at the organizational level again. Yeah. Like you said, whether that's a, a church or a, a school board or whatever and say like, man, they need to fix this. Or if we could just fix this organizationally, uh, when in reality it starts with us, right? It starts with the individual getting healthier and doing the right things and taking responsibility. Um, you, you have a powerful quote in the book. You say that things begin to break down in, in the world when Christians stop taking responsibility. Mm. When I read that, I agreed with you. I thought, yeah, and we could see the effects of that. I mean, we could spend all day maybe talking about in culture where we've seen things go off the rails because Christians stop taking responsibility for things. Um, but what I thought about, particularly here in the culture of the Pacific Northwest, is what do we do, though, when when it feels like the broader culture, and I mean, I use that term loosely. I hate that term because the reality is there isn't a culture, right? There's lots of micro cultures, but mm-hmm. what, what do we do though when it feels like um, the broader culture today 
would rather Christians not take responsibility. Meaning like, like you guys do your religious thing or whatever you want to do on Sunday, like that's fine, but you need to stay out of the public conversation or some of these hot button issues. Like am I, I mean, that's just, maybe that's just me having a bad day and feeling grumpy, but like, do you, do you sense that there's a sense of which maybe Christians are not invited to take responsibility? Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, again, since I'm a pastor, uh, I know if I bring up that title, you know, in that typical conversation, hey, I'm I'm David, blah, blah. Oh, what do you do for a living? I don't want to tell you. (laughs) I'm a pastor. And that that changes a perception. So, yes, I see it. I feel it. That, But I actually disagree that people don't want Christians at the table influencing fulfilling roles in all of society and all that i think the misrepresentation of jesus christ is what they don't want i I think that what they don't want is the christian who actually isn't for lack of better words being a good christian uh i think that's what they, they don't they don't want the hypocrite they don't want but but if we're truly following the way of jesus i would say they want that person at the table uh so to me, it's all about relationship. And what I've learned is trying to make a difference in this world outside of relationship keeps you out of circles and tables and levels of influence that you're going to, you might try to fight in there. You might try to get yourself elected into it. But I, I actually think relationships have never waned in their opportunity and level of influence in a world. So yes, to answer your question, if I lead with, I'm an evangelical I'm a conservative, I'm a whatever, I'm a pastor, and I want to be at this table. I think there's a lot of people going, no, thank you. You That means that you are anti such and such and such and such, or you believe such and such, or you don't think science is true, or blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But out of relationship, I actually think most people would say, actually, I do want you there. I just didn't know I, I, didn't know I wanted you there. But, but I, and I think it's all over, not, not just corners of our nation. I actually think all over the place because of a misrepresentation of Jesus that's got blanketed onto titles. Yep. That's good. Yeah. So, no, so I think, so, so fixing it, because I guess my brain goes, okay, so there's the problem continually. I didn't just fix a problem for you. I like, what do you do? I think, I think Christians have got to get back to the way of Jesus literally studying the way of Jesus and say, what did he do and how did he do it? I'm just going to copy him. I'm just literally going to copy him. And too many Christians haven't done that. So I, I think that maybe it's a conversation elsewhere, but I think that, I think that many Christians have bowed down to the idol of politics and serve the God of politics and it's gotten all intermingled. So now people go like, keep your, keep your faith out of your politics. And it's just all messy, but Hmm. bottom line, a follower of Jesus Christ loves people. That's what's supposed to, we, we love God and we love people. That's what we signed up and what we, that's our worldview. Yeah. So I would say you should want people at your table who love people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it is that simple. I think I, what I heard you say is I need to go back in some drawers in my house and find my, what would Jesus do bracelets from 2002 <clears throat> and start wearing those. Again. Is that what, that's basically what you're saying. That's exactly what, no. Uh, and those were just reset. Those were just recycled from the nineties. Uh, so That's I, true. uh, you're just older but, than but me. What's, so. 
Mm-hmm. What 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 a, life is not near as complicated as we're making it. Yeah. Um, and uh, a lot of times nowadays we'll hear a title or a classification or a tribe. That's a common word now. Like what what tribe you come from? What 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 do you think? What do you believe? And we're we're segregating people again. Mm-hmm. We I think we'd stopped for a while, but now we're resegregating people. And uh, if if a Christian is listening to this, I would just urge you to to live the way of Jesus. Uh, don't live the way of politics, conservative, liberal. Any don't no no no. Just go to the way of Jesus and lock onto that. Mm-hmm. And I think the Bible describes Christians as temporary residents, exiles, exactly. uh, whatever yes. words you want to use. So so that's what we're described as. And the way of the way of Jesus is a fantastic example. Uh, Daniel is another example in the Bible. How do I live this way? What do I do? What? And it's not demanding our rights, frankly. Uh, it's not making sure everyone believes what we believe. Nope. Uh, Jesus said, starts off, you start off with loving God and loving others and see where that goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a moment. I don't know if it was something that you said directly in the book or what, but I remember writing in the margins. Um, you know, what if Christians took responsibility for being hope dealers? Like, like mm-hmm. what if we woke up every day and said, my responsibility to this world isn't necessarily to fix every problem or tell every single person what to do or what, but like to be, to be hope in the world. Cause I, we know that's at short supply, right? Like there's a, a, a huge despair cloud hanging over culture, I think. Um, and man, if Christians took responsibility for that, I think we'd be invited to more tables probably, you know? I totally agree. And I also don't buy the narrative that we live in a time that's so far worse than other times in history. Mm-hmm. So I think the narrative now, especially I guess in church world is like, man, the world's so bad. So jacked up. We got to get the right people into the right seats on the bus. Uh, like, what if that's a good leadership tactic, but maybe not a change the world uh, objective? And so I, I, I think that there are many parts of history where it was horrible yeah, and not hopeless at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I think how we engage our life right now, we can start preaching and telling and repeating the, the how horrible everything is or say, you know what? I'm going to love my neighbor and my neighbor, I'm going to go buy him dinner. I'm going to bring dinner, have him delivered to the house. I think we need more of that where we're loving people well and not so consumed with um, the, I would call it like the levers that we're trying to pull. And it's got to be more, not to try to pasteurize this, but the love we can give, like, how do I do that? And then I think there's byproducts to that to where we have better conversations that go further down the road that make better change, longer lasting change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's why I it starts like... with, and that's why I'll be re- redundant. It starts with me. Like, like yeah. it's, it starts with what am I doing today? And then what am I going to do tomorrow that will bring hope into someone's life? Well, I think a lot of that stint, you know, you're saying about how bad things are and I, you know, things are challenging for sure. But I think a lot of that just stems from, you know, we just repeat the talking points that we're given by, um, from other sources, you know, in our life, whether that's our, you know, our favorite news channel or author or, you know, talking head, whatever leader. Um, and I think, 
I, I remember not to like, you know, plug my own sermons or whatever. No one cares. But uh, I remember sharing with our church, you know, when we, we had to close for a while, you know, when, when COVID first hit, like most churches and stuff. And, and honestly, things have been way more restricted in, in Oregon than a lot of places. Um, mm-hmm. And when we finally were able to kind of regather and stuff, I remember sharing, you know, kind of that same thing. Like, we think it's terrible and this is the worst thing and no one's ever been here before and we're never going to get through this. And I had done some looking at, I think the year was 1968. And it, it's like, you should go back. If you ever have a chance, you should go look at like the events of 1968. Um, I was born in 1983, so I was not there, but, uh, it, it is so reminiscent of what like 2020 was, um, everything from, you know, assassinations to, uh, a a pandemic. There was a global pandemic in 68. You had racial tension. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, uh, crazy political stuff going on, Vietnam war protests, all these things were happening. And as I read it, I thought, and here we are like. 50 years later, um, we made it and there's some great things, you know, like we, they made it, that generation made it through. And it was also in 1968 that the, um, Chuck Smith started a Bible study that became the Calvary Chapel movement that has now of course have churches all around the world. And it was the same exact year. And so for me, it just became this moment of like, okay, so what, what is the Calvary Chapel movement of today? Like what is Mountain View Church? What is Fountain Springs Church? Like what, what are we going to do in response? What are we going to take responsibility for in this moment? And how is God going to use how 50 years from now, what story is going to be told about Mountain View and Fountain Springs and other churches because they stepped into the moment, you know, and saw it with hope filled yep. eyes. Um, anyway. Who was it? I, someone, I heard, I heard this the other day. I forget who said it, but, but they were talking about how, uh, how history has brought many moments that were painful um, full of horrible leadership and good leadership. And the danger is, is generations can get locked into the moments that they experienced and forget about a future, literally just forget about the future. Literally, mm-hmm. uh, don't focus on it. Don't think about it because we get trapped by what we actually just walked through, which all of us can say, I think every human being I've met now and know would look back at the past few years and say, I have stories of stuff I didn't like. The problem with that is, so yes, not invalidating what you experience, the fears, the anxieties, the the difficulties, the cut off from people, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So now the hard part is, I think what life is here, here's what we're trying to do. I think we're trying to get everyone's heads, but let's look forward now. That's, that's, yes, that was bad, but let's not keep looking in the rear view mirror. That, that was good, but that's, that's, that's drive forward. And mm-hmm. I think that's the hard part that we're currently in culture right now is, is that is such a difficult thing to do personally and communally. It's hard yeah. to, to move forward. And so that's what I think we're, we're in right now is people aren't sure how to move forward. They're not sure they're allowed to move forward. Um, it's awkward. It's different. It's, it's, it's just, it leaves us with a bit of a, I'm not sure what to do and how to do and I need help. Um, and I think that's where we're at right now is how, how do I do this well? And there's lots of opinions out there on how to do it well. Yeah. Well, and it's just from a psychological, uh, emotional space. It's hard to move forward when you're exhausted, right? When, <laughs> when, you, when you're just depleted, uh, emotionally, relationally, all the things, uh, 
it, it's great to say we need to just move forward. We need to look at the future, but it's like, you're going like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm languishing. Like I'm barely holding on. I don't have time for a vision. <laughs> I, my vision is to make it to bed um, tonight. So there's a lot of forces at play, I think, that are holding us back to, um, I was curious though, um, if, if people are still listening, they might've, they might've turned off when we started talking politics. So if they're, if they're still listening, Maybe so. let's talk cancel culture. That'll help. That'll help bring us back. Okay. You, you, you think that Christians have something better to offer and to, to offer maybe this whole cancel culture phenomenon that we're seeing. What, what is that? You, uh, one of the phrases you use in the book is we don't need more love. How about fewer conditions? Yeah. You want to talk about how that connects to cancel culture and what we're seeing? I, I, oh man, I see, I'm passionate about this because uh, in my heart, uh, I've experienced enough that I've been canceled and I've had people that I expected to probably gave them a right to it, to not cancel me. So I've like, I've got, when, when you and I talk about this, I immediately have a rush of, oh, I, I remember when I had this with, with Jim and Carol. And I remember when this, you know, I be, actually begin to go through names of, of moments that I was canceled that I shouldn't have been. And moments I wasn't canceled that I well-deserved for someone to say, David, you're out of my life. And I would say, I totally understand. And you have a, you, yes, that's merited. So uh, again, I'm always going to go to what's the way of Jesus? What, what, what would he do? And what, what's annoying about Jesus. And I mean, this in the most complimentary way <laughs> is he could be around people that we he radically disagreed with or that we would radically disagree with, but he would spend time with them. It, it, he was not around people based on common beliefs and common approaches. And I think a better world is not watering down truth or changing truth, or you have your truth, I have my truth. I think a better way of life is, can I be in relationship with you, me choosing to be in relationship with you without so many conditions, without, man, Mike, you've got to think this way, do this and be about this. And I want you to actually also, I need you to respond to me in certain ways. Uh, no, what if I just said, I don't know how this is going to go and it may go up and down, but less conditions, because frankly, it's the approach that I have with my family. My kids have spoken to me in ways that are not kind <laughs> in, in any way. Uh, my wife and I, have said things to each other or given each other the silent treatment, right? Or, or, or we've, we've made mistakes in such a way, but that could have been like, I'm done. I'm whatever. I'm dropping you. You're not safe. You're not, whatever. but we figured out a way to work it. Basically my marriage and my family life have very few conditions to it. That's, that's the bottom line. They, there's just, there's very few conditions. And I think a better world is, where I, I meet someone, hang out with someone, have coffee with someone. We go out and go to the movies with someone. And it's like, this may not go perfectly. And I'm okay with that. Uh, love to me is more to the side of I can get hurt rather than I've got to love in a way that I can't get hurt. Does that make sense? Wow. Yeah, it does. So I, I think I never really I think thought of that, that being behind some of this, but it is. I think I think I think we fear vulnerability. I think because some of us are like, because let me tell you the story of when I was vulnerable and such and such happened, or I, I got fired and I thought I was just being open and honest and had the opportunity to get feedback, or or I was honest with this person I was dating, and all of a sudden they responded this way and dropped me and 
and I'm done and we don't even date anymore. So I think we have stories of when we were vulnerable and the person didn't handle it well. Uh, however, I don't think that's any reason to stop being vulnerable with each other. And we live in a culture built on, uh, it's not my term, uh, it's out of the book, uh, The Coddling of the American Mind, uh, safetyism, where we have made uh, it a, a sacred value in our world that, that you be safe. And we've attached physical safety to emotional safety. They're now they're not completely connected, even though they shouldn't be, because uh, what scientists, uh, psychologists, everything, what we've learned is some of the most precarious, uh, dangerous situations physically or emotionally have made us stronger. It's the basic principle of when you go lift weights, what you're actually doing is you're hurting your muscles so that your muscles can get stronger. Uh, and I think we've done that in our relationships, meaning so not to, not to stretch it out too far. In our relationships, we don't allow muscles to get hurt. We don't allow things to have, we don't allow pain. We don't, we try to not have a lack of safety. So all that to say, so we put conditions on stuff. And that is our attempt to put up walls and safeguards. All the while, a good psychologist will say, yeah, walls actually hurt you. They make your heart cold and right. rock hard and that's dangerous territory well and i think i wonder how much of this you know whether it's cancel culture or yeah just um refusing to be in relationships with people that don't meet our criteria or, or whatever i wonder how much of that stems from just having a lack of purpose and vision for for our life and and why we're here you know i because I agree with you. Who who wrote that Colleen of American Mind? I've heard that. Who's the author of that? Do you know? I should be able to tell you. I, heard, I'll let me think about it, and I will come up yeah. with a name for so, you. <laughs> I think because um, I, I was thinking of uh, uh, I think it's there's a guy who wrote who also wrote the book specifically about evangelicals, right? Uh, lack yep. of thinking. Anyway, um, but I, you know, if safety, like if safety is the vision of our life. What a, what a terrible vision to live for. Like who, who wants to give their life to that? Who wants to wake up and say, I'm going to give my best to just staying safe. Um, that's, that's terrible. Like that's an, like I, I was actually, I'm sharing with my church this Sunday, but I was driving in Salem, Oregon, and there was this furniture box truck in front of me and it had this huge uh, yellow sign on the back of this truck that said, you know, safety is our number one goal. And like God immediately started speaking to me and I thought, what a terrible goal. Like, really? Like safety is your number one? Because it's not true. First of all, you're a furniture company, national brand. Everyone would know the brand if I said it. It's like, no, your number one goal is to sell as much furniture as possible and to get it into people's houses. That's actually your goal. So it's not even truthful, first off. But... I get why you put it on there. You want your drivers to be safe and you want, you know, all these, I get it, but it's like, that is a terrible, no one woke up that morning and go, I want to give my life to the goal of staying safe. And I'm wondering how many of us have, that's now our default, right? Like our default is just surviving and like staying safe and making sure everything in our life is just so, so, so that we feel okay, you know? And what's it going to take for us to enlarge our vision and our mission for our life to say, no, actually, there's there's a greater purpose and that's worth risking for. Yeah, this is where I get off the rails, man. This is where I need Katie because, man, I uh -oh. could talk to you hours about this. I mean, I, I found a company 
that uh, that makes a mug that says safety second. I bought the t-shirt literally that says safety second. Oh, I, um, I want to be the kind of parent, the kind of husband, the kind of pastor, the kind of leader, the friend where safety is not my number one objective. I'm again, not suggesting that safety is irrelevant, but life has priorities. It does. I, and whether we like life has priorities and priority number one should not be safety. Mm -hmm. Uh, because if you live in a world of safety, you will never be safe enough. And if you are somehow able to achieve, achieve being safe enough, you have successfully removed every human being from your life. Because if you have any kind of relationship, any kind of relationship, your heart is not 100% safe. You have a vulnerability of hurt. And so we live in a culture, a, a season now, that because safety is number one, thanks, COVID escalated something we were already going after. Again, the book, uh, The Coddling of the American Mind was written way before COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, but what I'm saying is uh, we have made what I've told multiple people. Uh, safety is good, but safety is not God. And, there, and you need to know the difference between the two. We are obsessed with it so much that we've stopped risking. We've stopped being okay with suffering. We've stopped being willing to sacrifice because it's so dangerous to do that. Yeah. Like, and I, so, so I'll, yeah, man, I'll, I'll go all over the place. There's tons of research done on this, that safe environments, actually, if it's, it can get too safe, uh, there, there was a, a biosphere project done, I think in Arizona, where they, they basically created the most epic, amazing environment for trees and plants to grow. Um, the idea was, could we grow stuff on Mars? And so they, they built this biosphere, they planted everything and did it all, and it thrived. It was like kicking butt. They figured out how to do it. The problem is the trees that they grew, as soon as the trees got to a certain height, they fell over. Mm -hmm. Totally healthy trees fell over. What they discovered was they had removed wind from the biosphere. There was no wind. So the roots didn't go as deep as they should have gone. And so eventually the tree would grow up, could not sustain its own weight and would fall over. So they actually had to create manufactured wind inside of the biosphere to strengthen the roots. It's a great lesson on life that doesn't have wind and waves is dangerous for you and I. So translate that into relationships. If you, if you don't have relationships that you can get hurt by, you're in danger. You're immediately in danger. So that's why like you, you, your roots are going to be shallow. If you don't have anyone in your life that believes differently than you do, if you don't have anyone in your life that can speak up and say, Hey, put the second Big Mac down. Don't, mm -hmm. don't quit eating that way. If you don't have anybody in your life who can speak against inappropriate behavior or unhealthy behavior, your roots mm -hmm. won't go deep. Now you think you're, you think you're protected because no one's pushing against you. But then you're going to find yourself in a situation, let's call it COVID, where everything falls apart. Yep. Yeah. And I think, so that's yeah. why I, I I'll, man, I can talk all day about this. So it doesn't mean, by the way, please uh, don't start not using seat belts and telling your kids to go play in the street. Right. <laughs> that, that's, right. Yeah. That, use wisdom. It's, <laughs> don't go. Yeah. Don't, don't be idiotic. But I think it's a. Uh, it's perhaps a cue for all of us living in a world that we're not sure what this is like or what we do. How do I make sure I don't overprotect myself coming out of all this weirdness? I think that's one of the tactics. How, how do I not? Over and Jesus, there's another example. Jesus was murdered. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus 
brought in a saboteur, a a traitor into his mix. I mean, come on. There's yeah. the multiple examples. Where I, where I first really kind of started thinking about this was in a lot of the the protest movements and stuff that happened in in the summer of 2020 in the fall of 2020 and in Oregon still go on like I don't think people realize that at least in Portland and Oregon stuff like like Antifa all those like that's just that's just called a Thursday uh like (laughs) that's like that this has been kind of ground zero for anarchist movements for a long time um in Oregon but certainly not you know the level of clashes and, and and violence and stuff that we were seeing there for a little while but what caught my attention was the news coverage of those, you know, I live about an hour south of, of Portland and probably what, however it was portrayed in South Dakota or wherever was probably not accurate. Like it really wasn't the way that the national media shockingly liked to portray it. Mm-hmm. But, but one of the things I noticed looking at the stories and, and social media posts and even like live video was how many of the protesters on both sides. So Antifa, uh, Black Lives Matter on one side, you had far right, you know, uh, Proud Boys, whatever, like on on this other side, you know, clashing over issues of race and economics or whatever. And on both sides were tons of young, seemingly affluent white males. Mm. And I kind of had this moment where not not that they weren't, I mean, I'm sure that they were, you know, invested in the cause and believed in what they were protesting, whatever, but I just had this moment of like, that's a that's a demographic that the church in particular struggles to reach and i wonder if it's because like they have again zero mission and larger purpose for their life and now they found it i'm going to give my life to this great cause of injustice or you know racial inequality whatever it is um politics which has become the greatest idol in our day uh and it was because, yeah, up until now, the only mission we've ever given them is like, well, just stay out of trouble and like be safe. And yep. um, how many of our, I, I had this moment with God where I thought, how, like, is my church, like, am I as a pastor, am I calling people to a greater level of sacrifice and mission for their life so that they don't fall into lesser missions? Because if we aren't going to give it to them, they're going to find it somewhere else, you know? Um, again, not saying anything about those movements or whether they were needed or not, anything like that, but it's just like, I just found that really, really, really interesting. Um, oh, dude, I'm actually, and this is where I get in trouble. Sorry, I'm just going to pre-apologize here. Uh, <laughs> I, go. I don't, I don't think those groups are our biggest problem. I'm not, I'm so I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm just saying I don't think that's those groups are our biggest problems in 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 our in our society. In fact, a part of it is uh, I'm seeing people who are passionate about something. Yeah, they, like they should, like they're they're doing something maybe misdirected sometimes i'm misdirected sometimes maybe we don't always do what we love and what we're passionate about well sometimes we get really overzealous on in some ways but i see it from afar going uh they they at least appear to have some sort of purpose they're going after mm-hmm. rather than i'm doing nothing with anything and my only goal in life is to graduate high school or I'm going to get a job. I don't care what job is that I'm just going to get into the, the system. Mm-hmm. Now, I think, I think you, you alluded to something that I think is super important, man, that the goals and purposes that we're handing people going, okay, here's your goal in life, graduate high school. Yay. Stay out of jail. Sweet. 
that's and we don't we don't care what else you do like yeah and that's why i think so many 18 year olds graduate high school and be like now what that yeah. that was my everything well and you i mean i think this is kind of where you're going you you had there's a few lines there's a few zingers in the book I'll, i won't spoil them all but you said at one point that that on the fence christians lukewarm christians let's put let's use that term are some of the most dangerous people on earth what do you what do you mean by that you want to let's just let's maybe camp out there for a second what did you mean by that well so this is going to be a little bit of my my midwest come out of here okay uh I, think I mean, in South Dakota, I feel like the Midwest is like 17 states or something. You it is. All it's, claim it's, it's, I'm from Ohio. I'm, I'm just in the Midwest. And I'm like, is Ohio, <laughs> South Dakota, like what is going on right now? I think more, I'm in the middle, right? So, okay. so South Dakota, most people would say uh, I am in a super uh, conservative, fundamental, blah, blah, blah world. But man, I'm going to tell you, um, I think where I live, there's tons of people not rioting, not parading, not protesting. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave that with that. And I'm also going to say, and doing nothing. Absolutely zero with their faith in Jesus Christ as their, as like the Redeemer, their Savior, as one who they've decided, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And so where I'm from, it is full of apathy and i think apathy is the greater uh evil uh than people standing up for something they believe in i think it's the people who are saying i'm a christian and um you won't see it know it feel it because i'm going to do absolutely zero about this and i think that is the i think that's the toxin that is rampant at least where i live in in many of them, not the non-coast part of society. Right. Well, and I wonder, do you think COVID, I mean, I've, I've always said that I think COVID revealed far more than it created. Um, yeah. Do you, do you feel like the event, whether it's COVID or just the collective events of the last two years, uh, revealed more apathy and, and kind of that, that middling lukewarmness and has accelerated that? Like, are, are you seeing the middle, you know, the squishy middle, I've heard it called, uh, disappear, even in South Dakota? Because, like, I was reading something, I don't know, things like a New York Times article or something like a year ago, and they were talking about how the middle of culture is disappearing. So economically, middle class, shrinking. Uh, uh, Business-wise, you've got, you know, mega chain, you got Walmarts, and then you got, like, mom and pop, really posh, niche shops. Those two are doing well. If you're in the middle ground somewhere, you're kind of struggling to find your footing um, and, and your market. Uh, you know, all of these things, right? Uh, colleges, mega colleges are going to be fine. They've got massive endowments. Startups are super trendy and entrepreneurial. But again, if you're in the middle, you're not. It's the same thing happening with Christianity. Are, are you and your church in, in South Dakota, are you seeing that squishy middle kind of go, yep, I'm out? Uh, 100%. Uh, I would say uh, the I, the term I've been using is the, the tree was shaken and the dead fruit and the dead branches broke off and fell off. And uh, no one knew it. Like I couldn't have told you from afar, but I think there are many people who were, let's just say, connected to a church, attending a church randomly and irregularly 
Um, people who said, yes, I'm a Christian on some survey, right? You know, if I'm filling out my census, I'm a Christian, right? I think a lot of those folks saw this weird season we just went through as a nice exit door. Um, now, I, what I would suggest is it's not because of people's responses and reactions during that time. It's not a rebellious attitude. It's because I think beforehand, they were loosely connected. Uh, and in, in terms of following Jesus Christ, Jesus talked to, talks about they weren't hot or cold. They were lukewarm. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you have a high intensity time, lukewarm needs to stay lukewarm. At least most people want to stay lukewarm. So that what you got to do is you got to back away. You got to back out. You got you to gotta move away a little bit. Otherwise, you're going to get hot or cold. And that's intense and creates a need to sacrifice and devote and live by purpose. So, yes, no, I think I, I, I think it was more revealing than, than a response. I think it, was, it wasn't like, oh, because of what happened here, I'm doing this now. No, I think it was permission to, to, to do what they already had in their hearts. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, we're obviously not saying that we don't, you know, love those people or, you know, whatever. It's just making observations about you know, what we've seen in, in life and, and in our churches. And I think most pastors oh, yeah. would say like, yeah, like that's kind of what I've seen too. Um, and your book is essentially encouraging people to not do that, right? To, and not just, we should say too, it's not just like spiritual. Like if you're not a Christian or you're unsettled in your faith or whatever, like you could read off the fence and grab things that you're kind of dragging your feet on. Like it's not just about faith, is it? It's about relationships and finances and all kinds of things. 100%. I know I won't reveal their names, but I know principals and business owners who use the book and the values of the book to lead their schools and their businesses uh, that are full of people who don't have any kind of uh, life of faith, but the values are transferable, whoever you are. Now, do I think following the way of Jesus is best? Yeah. Uh, But do I think that unconditional love and generosity and a sense of mission in life are transferable to any setting, you better believe it. Uh, So I think there's a way, not necessarily back to normal, but I just think there's a better way of life that we can get to now. I don't think life is ruined. And I think it's important to consistently bring up life is not ruined. Life is not horrible. Life is not hopeless. There are values to live by that we can spend the rest of our waking lives living that way and see uh, a wonderful, uh, fruitful life, the experiences, as Jesus would say, a fulfilling life. Yeah, life to the full. Well, that's, I mean, maybe that's a good place to end that we could, we could talk more about it, but I want people to, to check it out for themselves. If you're listening to this, check out Get Off the Fence. You can find it in all the places, right? Amazon, mostly, yeah. but all, all the places. Um, you've got a podcast that you start with Katie, same name, right? Off the Fence. Yep, yep. Apple, Spotify, if they haven't, you know, Spotify might even put one of those little like advisory things if you start talking about the wrong stuff. So you better be careful with that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I need to go back to an earlier episode of this podcast and see if they slapped one of those on there. Yeah. Um, where, where else can people connect with you? If people go like, man, I just, I like David. I want to, I want to know more about what he's doing and talking about and whatever. Like, how can people find you? How can they connect with you? Yeah, man. Uh, genuinely. Uh, I crave relationship. Um, I, I love, no matter what another person believes or not, or background, I, I love relationships. So 
yeah, the, uh, if you want to know more just about me and the podcast is a great, we just started it, but it's on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. But social media, of course, maybe I don't, most of us now stalk each other via social media and I'm on social sure. media. Easy to find Instagram and Facebook mainly. Um, but more personally, if people are up for it, uh, you can text me. Uh, I am, uh, I would love to dialogue via text. Uh, my number is uh, 605-250-1224. So 605-250-1224. Um, it's legit. Some of you are like, no. You're a brave uh, now, man, I, David. <laughs> well, now I do have a, a spam filter. So when you text that number, um, you'll get some generic response right at the beginning. It's like, hey, blah, blah, blah. Give me your name and I think your birthday and something like that. But it, the only purpose of that is to make sure that people don't just shots over the bow kind of random crazy. Yeah. You, you have to at least let me terrible. know. Yeah. yeah, at least let me know your name. Come on, Lee. So about 605-250-1224, text me. Uh, questions, thoughts, debates. Um, Pictures of barbecue, you know, <laughs> whatever you want. Okay. Well, we can put links and all this info. We can put that in the uh, in the show notes or whatever, so people can click on those and find you and Katie and 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 all the things. And um, yeah, this is this has been fun, man. How about that? If uh, if you're listening to this, you can uh, you can obviously share it. How about the first first five people that share this episode? You got to tag me on like Facebook or Instagram so I share. I personally will buy you a copy of Get Off the Fence, the first five people. And then you can text you can text David and let him know that I, I was true to my word because he gave you his phone number. So I'm not going to give you mine because I'm not as nice or as cool as David. <laughs> <laughs> David, it's been real, man. Thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, if you haven't joined the Facebook group, uh, Exploring Exile, you can just, it's my name, Mike Klein. So find it. Let me know what you thought of this episode, what you thought about what David had to share. Uh, if you're reading the book, would love to hear kind of what's standing out to you, how God's speaking to you through it. Uh, and until next time, stay close to the Father, stay curious about what He's doing. We'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the Exploring Exile podcast. We hope today's episode helps you elevate the conversation, ask better questions, and stay curious. Make sure not to miss an episode by subscribing on Apple, Google, or Spotify. And if you'd like to support the show and help grow the conversation, share what you've heard today with someone else and connect with others on the Exploring Exile Facebook page. We'll see you there.